0: All right. Good evening, church. Welcome to tonight's midweek Bible study. Um, I trust
1: your week has started on a good note. And I want to believe the month of May has been smooth so far. Amen. And let's pray and get right into it. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for this August opportunity to minister to your precious saints. Give me the great honor and a privilege. Therefore, Father, I ask that your Holy
0: Spirit, who is the master teacher, will be in charge of this session. May it be transformative.
1: May it be life-changing. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. For some time now, our series, Understanding the Kingdom of God from Parables, has been on hold. And tonight we will continue. So in our series, we've looked at some things so far. We've given the definition to the kingdom of God and a parable. Uh, We've looked at the purpose of Jesus' teaching and parables. We've grouped the parables in four parts so that it would be easier. And now to the crux of it, we've started to go through some of the parables. So first and foremost, what's the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is defined as a way of life or the culture of a believer or a new creation. When we receive Christ as our Lord and personal savior, how we live, it it talks about culture, how we do things, what we prioritize, what's our value system, what's our principle, what we eat, the language we speak. And when you flip this to natural culture, all these hallmarks is what denotes culture. That's what has given us different peculiarities. I can tell you, all of us here, we can have an idea of who is an American or who is from another nation or from another culture due to certain peculiarities. Well, when we say we are Christians, we also have certain peculiarities that marks us out and it's called the kingdom of God. Amen. And now we've talked about a parable. What's a parable? A parable is a dark scene intended to drive home a spiritual truth. So, when I'm talking about a dark scene, it could be anything ranging from a story, word picture, illustration, proverb, and anything, you know, a dark scene, of a figurative expression. And that's what a parable was. It, it had coded messages, but the import of it was it drove home a spiritual truth. Now, if looked at the purpose of Jesus' teaching in parables, Jesus' teaching in parables, the purpose of that was just to highlight the gross downness of the hearts of the Jews, as prophesied in Isaiah 6, verse 9. And if you, you do remember, we've we've read that. Amen. Isaiah 6 verse 9. Isaiah prophesied that a time will come the, the Israelites will become so dull in understanding. The things of God that it will become a mystery to them. And Jesus fulfilled that scripture. So when Jesus came, Jesus coming at the time he came, it really showed how the Israelites were spiritually disconnected and so far away from God that the truths that Jesus gave, it, it became a mystery. But if you look at the scriptures carefully, Jesus didn't intend to decode his message. Sorry, to code his message. He didn't intend to code his message. The messages became cold to the Jewish people because they were dull in understanding. Amen. So that's the reason. But even if you look at your scriptures carefully, when Jesus gives the parables to the disciples, he always explains it to them. And these disciples, they were good stewards. It's these messages that they carried forth And they wrote books out of it. So, Romans to Revelation are full of some of the parables that Jesus could not really explain to the people, but the Holy Spirit shed more light on these things, which have become Revelation, has become light unto us. Amen. Now, for the purpose of this study, we've grouped the parables into four. Um, The part one is the kingdom takes roots, part two is The kingdom is present with us. Part three is the kingdom comes alive in us. And part four is the kingdom transforms our world. So now under part one, we are doing the kingdom takes root. So, so far we've looked at three parables. We've looked at the new cloth, new wineskins. And for me, I call this the changing of the God. Uh, For the kingdom to take root in us, we first and foremost have to understand dispensations here. And these people asked the question concerning fasting, and Jesus used it as an opportunity to talk about dispensations. We are in the New Testament, and we practice New Testament beliefs. You can't say you are in a different era, and you are practicing something different. In the New Testament, we practice New Testament beliefs. I believe last week during our time of prayer, I'd say that if you do have a chance, read the book of Galatians. And if you did read the book of Galatians, that was one of Paul's um, strongest um, messages to the Church of Galatia. You are in the New Testament, practice New Testament beliefs. You can't put old wine into new wineskin or new wine into old wineskin. It can happen. It's going to burst. Amen. So, dispensations. If you want the kingdom to take root, understand the dispensation in which we are in and live accordingly. Secondly, we've looked at the parable of the builders. Two builders, one built on a sand, one built on a rock. Uh, Jesus highlighted the essence of if the kingdom will gain roots in us, in our hearts and minds, that people can truly say that we are Christians. We have to build our lives on the word of God. So we've, we've looked at that. And the third bar- parable we looked at is the lamp under a basket. That was quite a mouthful because we had to look at four different scriptures, right? And when, when we looked at all the four scriptures, this was the conclusion on the parable of the lamp and their baskets. We are the light of the world. We should shine bright by our good works that will glorify our Father in heaven. And if you do remember, I have spoken a lot about good works. You can't say you are doing good works without God. If you take away the factor of God, everything that you are doing is like filthy rags. Amen. So we should shine bright by our good works that glorify our Father. And then we must also make it a habit to go to the source of the light, which comes from the lamp. The lamp is the word of God. So four parables on the lamp and the basket. The Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, 16, which explicitly says that we are the light of the world. Then there is the Mark chapter 4, verse 21 to 24. And then there are the two um, scriptures in Luke. Now, if you look at the Mark chapter 4, verse 21 to 25, which also talks about the lamp and the basket, it specifically talks about the lamp as the word of God. And the lamp and the light have correlation. So if we say we are the light of the world and we truly want to live like Christians, we have to go to the source of the light, which comes from the lamp. That's the word of God. And like David said, your word is a lamp unto my feet. Amen. And the light onto my path. So if we want to be the light of the world, we have to go to the source of the light, which is the lamp, which is the word of God. Amen. So tonight we are going to look at our fourth parable, and it's going to be the parable of the two debtors. So go with me to Luke chapter 7,
0: verse 36 to 50. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50.
1: Before that, does anybody have any contribution? You want to ask something? Do you have any question questions? We're
0: doing the recap. Amen. All right. Verse 36 to
1: 50. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is and who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, The other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. A very interesting parable we read here tonight. To really understand this parable, you have to look at the context under which Jesus decided to talk on this parable. That's how you will be able to infer the meaning of of the story. So Jesus was invited by a Pharisee. I don't know whether it was for lunch or for dinner because the time of the day is not specified, but suffice it to say, Jesus was invited for a meal. And he was invited for a meal by a Pharisee. So perhaps we, 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 could, we could safely say that Jesus had friends who were Pharisees. I you aware Jesus also had some Pharisees who were his friends? Nicodemus was one, okay? Uh, John chapter 3. And the Bible lets us know that when Jesus died, he appeared again. He was one of the people. That was very influential in making sure that Jesus had a place of burial. Joseph of Mafia, he was also a Pharisee, so Jesus had some Pharisee friends, and it's safe to say I believe that this man who is called Simon or is a Pharisee was probably one of them. So not every Pharisee was Jesus's enemy. Amen. So he was invited to eat at this Pharisee's house, but something strange really occurred there. And you also have to understand the background of this story. This happened in the home region of Galilee. You know, Jesus had negative press in Galilee. People did not really believe in his ministry. One, they didn't believe in Christ. Two, they didn't believe in his ministry, right? So because of familiarity, because they were so familiar with his background, they knew his age, you know, (laughs) In 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 the old Jewish times, ageism was a big factor. You know, if you were young, you you are you were accorded a certain treatment. If you were old, you are accorded a certain treatment. They knew his age. They knew who he was. Prior to him becoming, you know, a minister and now preaching the word of God with his disciples, he was a carpenter. It was well known. They knew him. They didn't believe in him. If you read Mark chapter 6, it lets us know he he couldn't do much works in Galilee because of their unbelief. They they didn't believe in him. It's in this place that Jesus is invited to come for dinner. And something interesting happened there that we can take notice of. The Bible lets us know that a woman with a checkered past or a background you know, she was a sinner. Some, some have supposed she was a prostitute. That's what some believe. Um, and the, the identity of the woman is not known. But many Bible commentators believe this was Mary Madeline. Probably. But in fact, if you read your Bible carefully, Jesus experienced this twice. So in, in, in Luke chapter 7, the story that we just read, some a woman poured fragrant oil at his feet, and then in John chapter twelve, a woman also did the same thing. But this woman was known. This was Mary of Bethany. So the John chapter twelve and the Luke chapter seven. They are not the same story. They are two different accounts. So Jesus experienced that on two occasions. Amen. So John chapter twelve, that was close to his death, that happened. But this was early in his ministry days, amen. And it was very bold of a woman in those days to enter a Pharisee's house. You know, the Pharisees, one of their nicknames was they were called bleeding Pharisees. And why were they called bleeding Pharisees? Because it was was believed that when they saw women, they always closed their eyes. Why? Because in Jewish folklore, they believe that it was the woman that made us fall. It was through the woman that we have experienced the cares of this world. And if you want to be a serious Pharisee, you don't have to play with woman matters. So when they see women, they just close their eyes. And normally when they close their eyes, they hit their heads through pillars and everything and they will be bleeding. So. The nickname that was given to them was bleeding Pharisees. The the point I wanted to make is that it was very stringent. Too much protocol between a Pharisee and then a woman. Much less to even make an attempt to go to a Pharisee's house. This woman was very bold. I, I, I give it to her. Much more, she was a sinner in addition. So this was not just a woman, but she was also a sinner in addition. But she was ready for any outcome. I like the boldness of this woman. She was just ready for anything. She didn't care. She broke all the rules, broke every protocol, and decided to go to the house. Number one, she's a woman. Number two, she is a sinner. But She, she went anyway. And the, the Bible lets us know what happened. But this is something I also find amazing in this story about this woman. How do you honor a despised or a questionable figure in an environment of dishonor? You know, when I read this scripture, the picture
0: that I get in my mind is, Jesus was in an environment of dishonor. Have you ever known somebody who you really love?
1: But maybe the person has so much negative press that
0: you will admire him secretly, but you won't make it openly. This woman could have done that. I'm sure that in the region of Galilee, there were certain
1: people who really loved Jesus, who believed in Jesus, who believed in the prophecy that Jesus is the coming Messiah, but because of the atmosphere, the environment of dishonor, it makes it so difficult to even be bold-faced about your admiration for him. So you admire him secretly. You admire him secretly. And sometimes it's the greatest form of hypocrisy. But that this woman should not really care whether all of you like him or not, whether you are questioning his background, whether
0: he's whatever to you, I will honor him. And I don't care what environment or atmosphere Jesus is in. I will honor him.
1: So that was bold on the woman's part. She thought of losing nothing. The Pharisee did not even honor Jesus well. If you look at the story very carefully and we will see it later. She had on an alabaster flask of fragrant oil you know in John chapter 12 it's an alabaster box this flask and it was a luxury in those days it was very expensive you know it was perfume you know perfumes those days was very expensive because of how it was made and all that stuff it was very very expensive and she probably took her hostliest thing you know it was believed that there were certain perfumes that you needed a year's wage to buy them. And many believe that this flask of fragrant oil could probably cost around that sum or that mark. So that was very expensive, but she took the flask, broke the flask, and first and foremost, she washed Jesus's feet with her tears
0: wiped her tears with her hair. So I don't know whether the tears could
1: serve as enough water to really wipe the death of Jesus's feet and then wipe it with her hair and then used her costliest item, which was the flask of fragrant oil. Or let's just say perfume. She just used her perfume on Jesus's feet. And the Pharisee had a problem with it. But the Pharisee, he did not really say anything. He spoke to himself. He was talking to himself. He did not really say it aloud. He started to question Jesus' prophetic gifts and Jesus' prophetic ministry. You are not a prophet because if you were truly a prophet, if you know this woman, if you know what manner of woman she is, you wouldn't allow her to touch you. She is a sinner. And Jesus, sensing this as a prophet, he decided to convey home a spiritual truth by giving a parable of two debtors
0: who were owed by a certain creditor. The word certain in this story denotes it's a true story.
1: You know, I always keep on telling you that a parable is borderline between fact or fiction. They don't really have to be true stories. They could be a figment of your imagination to bring home a spiritual truth. But this parable can be said to be true just because of the word certain. It's of a certainty that surely there were two debtors who owed this creditor. So Jesus was probably using a true story. And he talked about the sum that these two debtors owed.
0: One owed 500 denarii, another owed 50. And both were broke. There's nothing so unfortunate than loaning people who are broke, knowing they can't pay you. They
1: promise to pay you, but they are broke, and they will never pay you. What can you do? (laughs) But the, the creditor... Out of the abundance of his generosity, he decided to write off their debts. And Jesus asked a very poignant question. He said, Simon, I ask you a question which of the debtors will love the creditor the more? And Simon answered wisely to which Jesus commended him for that, that you have rightly judged it. Simon said, The one with a larger debt. And then Jesus now turned to the woman. I I find it interesting that the most important message of Jesus, he didn't say it face to face to Simon. The Bible lets us know that he turned to the woman. So I don't know whether the woman was opposite Simon or adjacent, I don't know. But when Jesus was given the most important message of this parable, he was looking at the woman,
0: talking but he was talking to Simon. And he said, Simon, some few things I want you to know. You
1: gave me no water for my feet. So I don't know the motive by which Simon invited Jesus, whether it was to humiliate Jesus or to despise him. No, no, nobody will really know that. But these were common kethesies that were done during the Jewish time. You didn't give me water for my feet the roads were very dusty during those times it wasn't hard like today so if you were walking or even if you use you know transport of camels horses donkeys you will still have a dirty feet one way or another and water to wash the feet means that you are welcome to this house It spoke of welcome. You know, Jewish people, they really like symbolisms. Everything was symbols to them. They they are very superstitious. So they they derive pleasure out of symbolism. So when they wash someone's feet, like when when you come to the house, that's the job of a servant. That's what the servants will do. The servants will come and wash the feet. That that job was for the lowliest person of the family, which is always the servants. Just wash your feet. That's why in John chapter 13, when Jesus decided to wash the feet of the disciples, they almost became offended. They were like, no, you can't do that. There's a job relegated for lower people at the totem pole of society. You can't do this. But the symbol behind washing someone's feet means you are welcome. So that didn't happen. It's a common Jewish courtesy, it's not a mystery, it happens everywhere but this woman did so. She did it with tears. I can imagine how much she was crying. Why do you think the woman was crying? I don't know, but she was crying a lot. It it was a lot of tears to the point that it could wash Jesus' feet. That is something. He said, Simon, you gave me no kiss. That was common. Among the Jewish, Roman times. And this was a Roman practice. Mind you, these people were now colonized by Romans, Gentiles. They believed in kissing, kissing on the cheek. And kissing on the
0: cheek means I treat you like family. That's why I've invited you here. I treat you like family. So, why did Simon? invite Jesus
1: if he didn't see him as family. It was a normal thing. It was something that was adopted by the Roman culture because they were under Roman colony. But that is, I treat you like family. I treat you like friend. You are not just welcome to my house. I treat you like family. I treat you like friend. That's why you are here. And that's why we'll break bread. And And the, the reason being that is that we will break bread. But he didn't he didn't kiss him. But Jesus said that this lady has never ceased to kiss
0: my feet. Then the third thing, you didn't anoint my head With oil. but this woman anointed
1: my feet with fragrance oil. You know, those days they had a very tropical climate, very hot. so when you come in like that, they normally give you oil. It's not the anointing oil. Anointing oil is just for anointing. This oil, is, it was fragrant oil. It just gives a cool, soothing sensation to make you feel very relaxed. And like I said, Jewish people, they believe in symbolism. It also meant the oil of hospitality and fever. So when you read scriptures like Psalm 23, where David say, You anoint my head with oil, my cup run of oil. that word anoint my head with oil. It's not
0: talking about the anointing oil. Mm-hmm. Amen. So I'll leave that alone. All right. So these three things didn't happen. And Jesus was saying that you
1: left gaps in your treatment towards me, but the lady fulfilled them. And He commended the woman for her faith. Why do you think the woman did that? In the midst of a hostile, unwelcoming, dishonorable, disrespectful environment. Because when I read this story, I have the picture that it was quite a crowd there. It was quite some few people there. You know, there are some people who are just there for suspicion, like, Let's see what's next. But in the midst of all these, this woman chose to see Jesus as the Messiah who
0: forgives sins and the one who is the savior of the world. And Simon could not see that.
1: Simon saw Jesus perhaps as a good man. That's why he invited him, because Pharisees believe in morality. And morality doesn't mean you're a Christian. Let's get that right. So the Pharisees believe in morality. And morality does not mean you're a Christian. Simon probably believed that Jesus was a wise man. And he was a wise man. It showed even when he could expand on the scriptures and everything. So maybe that's how Simon saw him. Simon maybe saw him as a peer. Because Simon was a religious teacher. He's a Pharisee. You two you're also a religious teacher. You're a Pharisee. And Simon even acknowledged that by calling him teacher. So maybe he saw him as a peer, but he never estimated Christ as the Messiah. He never estimated him as the Savior of this world, and he didn't even see him as God. He didn't. But maybe he was a good man. Maybe he had had very good estimations about him, but the estimations he had about Christ were not divine. And Jesus drove this point
0: home about the danger of self-righteousness. Is that I understand? I understand your treatment towards me. Because like I have said
1: in this story, to whom, who has been
0: forgiven of much, loves much. To whom that has been forgiven of little, loves very little.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, if we don't see ourselves as a sinner who has been forgiven, a sinner who has been saved by grace, that today we can call ourselves the righteousness of God. We can't worship
0: God with that fervor and that passion that the woman exhibited. How's your love work with God? How's your worship experience with God? It all depends if you believe that
1: you have been forgiven of much. And this is very scary to me because many people will be like Simon who will just stand at the gates of heaven and watch people go into heaven, but they themselves will not go to heaven. Do you know why? Because they believe that they are righteous or they are good enough about Jesus' sacrificial death
0: or atonement. Two people, they saw Jesus in a different light.
1: One saw Jesus as, can forgive me of my sins, no matter how messy, or no matter how checkered my background is. I believe he's the savior of the world. In the same room, Another two just treated him on a peer level. We are co equals. We are teachers. We are buddies. But Jesus is more than that. If our estimation of Jesus doesn't change, it will affect how we will worship God. It will affect how much we love God. So your love work can truly be answered, determined by how much you believe God has forgiven you of your sins. And if you believe that little has been forgiven, you're self-righteous. And Jesus using this analogy of little being forgiven, it does not really talk about God forgives some people's sins greater than others.
0: The little here is just reflecting self-righteousness. And when you've been in the church for too long, when you've gained some roots,
1: when when you've risen risen into the ascent of church worker, minister of God, and God is starting to use you. One of the sins you have to be careful of is self-righteousness. It's just as bad, as dangerous, as worse than any kind of sin that you know of. I know when we say that, mention some sins, many people will will have in their mind that these sins are bigger sins, heavyweight sins. Self-righteousness is just on the same scale as those quote-unquote heavyweight sins or big sins you classify as. May we be be guided by the Holy Spirit to guard against self-righteousness. And our self-righteousness will let us behave like Simon. Instead of seeing ourselves like the woman who has been forgiven of much, we will think we've been forgiven of little.
0: And if we think so, it shows in how we exhibit our love and our worship towards him. And for me, what I look at in this story is, may I be like, That woman,
1: no matter how long I've been in the church, no matter how long I've been in the faith, may I serve God just like this woman
0: where your reputation doesn't matter. Her reputation doesn't matter. Her reputation doesn't matter at all. If you
1: want to make an enemy out of a woman, touch her hair and see. Her reputation doesn't matter at
0: all. Her perfume, it didn't matter at all. Perfume, it didn't matter. Uh, Something so costly.
1: She was prepared to lose all at the feet of Christ. Because some way, somehow, she had a revelation of who Jesus was. And Jesus commended her for her faith. She commended her for her faith. He said, because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. So two things the woman received, forgiveness of sins. And Jesus said again, go, thy faith has saved you. She also experienced salvation. And then Jesus
0: blessed her, go in peace. She experienced the peace of God. And I don't know whether
1: we'll see of this woman again, but whatever be the case, her encounter with Christ It was different. So today, I believe that God is speaking to us through this parable
0: to take stock of, are we truly devoted to Christ? Are we devout? Are we devout? Is coming to church a chore for you?
1: Using your gifts to build the local church. Is it a chore for you? Is it a burden for you? given to support the kingdom of God. Is it a chore for you? Okay, what about if our worship goes beyond 15 minutes? Is it a chore for you? Is it a
0: burden for you? Is it hard for you? Do you know how much you've been forgiven? That's the next question you got
1: to ask yourself. Because if you've been forgiven of much you will have much. And truly, if you believe you have been forgiven of little, yes, you will serve with holding. So today, this parable is telling us to let it all out. We have to go all out in pursuing Christ. And that's the heart of our theme for this year. We have to go all out. But to go all out, have good memory. Remember how much you've been forgiven of. And it's so sad that many people are like Simon. They believe they have been
0: forgiven of little. Because perhaps they will say to themselves, I was a good guy. Good two-shoes guy. I was moral.
1: I just received Christ. It's like to them, they think that it wasn't even a big transition but you have to see it as a big transition. Yes, you were moral, but you were on your way to hell. You were moral, but your father was the devil and he's the father of all lies. Yes, you were moral, but you were under the God of this world who had blinded your mind from receiving the glorious gospel. Yes, you were moral, you never really had a checkered past But you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And you were walking according to the course of this world.
0: Yes, you believe you were moral. You did some good works, but they are filthy. That's at best. But thank God that when you became saved, see that he has forgiven you of much. If you can't recognize that, your service
1: to God will be tainted. Your service to God will be cold. When I look at this woman, I see a sort of reckless kind of love, shameless type of devotion. And may we come to the place where we are shameless. Is it she was shameless so she could let go of her substance. She was
0: seamless, so she didn't care about glamour, glory. When you don't believe Christ has forgiven you much, you think of glamour, you
1: think of glory. It's, It's a big thing to you. To you, it's too big of a sacrifice. Too big of a
0: sacrifice. You can't sacrifice it at the altar of worship. You see, we have to pray for cold Christians so that they can come back to their first love.
1: And why did they have first love in the first place? It's because they remembered,
0: remembered, they remembered. And when you forget, it, it becomes cold. One day, Jesus talked on the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter
1: 5. The Beatitudes is made of two words, Beatitudes. So the Beatitudes are attitudes to be as a child of God or as a kingdom citizen of God. That's the Beatitudes. And there are eight of them. The first one, it's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. And Jesus says that blessed are the
0: poor in spirits, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who are the poor in spirit? The poor
1: in spirit are those who are spiritually wretched, spiritually empty, spiritually deprived, and at best sinful. And for you to have the kingdom of heaven as an inheritance. And when it's talking about the kingdom of heaven in Matthew chapter five, like I keep on saying, it's talking about the kingdom of God. For you to gain access into
0: the culture of heaven, to experience a new way of life, to become a new creation.
1: First and foremost, recognize your poverty in spirit.
0: If you can't recognize that, the kingdom of heaven cannot be yours. So let us not be high-minded. Let's not be high-minded. Recognize your point, in spirit and recognize that
1: you have been forgiven of much. If you realize you've been forgiven of much,
0: you love much. You love much. And Today, the import of this message home is we can only love much if we know we have been forgiven of much. Are you grateful for your salvation? If all you are grateful for your salvation, it will show in your devotion, it will show in your aggressiveness for the things of God. Christians of today, we've become too cold. And the only reason we become too cold is we have forgotten that we have been
1: forgiven of much. Everybody has been forgiven of much. Everybody. There is nobody on the surface of the earth who has been forgiven of 50 denarii. Everybody has been forgiven of 500 denarii. But when you are self righteous, you will think you have been forgiven of 50 denarii. And if you do that, you will cheapen the grace of God and it will affect your service
0: for God. So tonight, that's the only message we have. The parable of the two debtors is talking to us to revive our devotion, revive our commitments. Can you serve God in a place where Christianity is being shamed? Like I said last two weeks, are you afraid to serve God because of cancel culture?
1: Cancel culture. Some some people have become mute. They become lame ducks. They become timid mice because of cancel culture. Are you afraid your voice is going to be drowned out? Are you comparing it to how much the Lord has forgiven you? Today, just think back. And remember, when you first serve the Lord, look at the alacrity with which you serve God. Come to church on time. Never missed service. What has changed now? What has changed now? You need to remember. Remember again that God has really forgiven you of much. All of us, we are the woman in that story. We've been forgiven of much. 500 denarii worth, we've been forgiven. Let us show appreciation to God by loving him and devoting ourselves to his cause.
0: So today, I'm just gonna, we're just gonna end with worship. I just want us to thank God. It costed God a lot to send his son
1: to come and die for us, an ooze of blood to shed our sins and to cover our sins, that today you and I can be called the righteousness of God. Indeed, we have been forgiven of God. Yes, our dishes. thank you thank you. he deserves all worship, thank you. thank you some of you could not speak, but now you can see ever since don't forget that
0: Thank Him. Thank Him. Whether the song plays or it doesn't play, thank Him. Sometimes learn
1: how to worship God without songs. Thank Him. He deserves all thanks. He deserves all worship. Some wonder. Yeah song. to worship the Lord, let's begin to worship him, let's begin to worship him, open your mouth and worship him, open your mouth, let him know that you appreciate him, thank him, you appreciate the sacrifice, you appreciate everything that he has done, you've been forgiven of much, you've been forgiven of much, you are heaven bound,
0: let's let's worship him, let's worship him let's worship him let's worship him thank you lord
1: we appreciate your goodness we appreciate how much you love
0: us thank you let's worship him let's worship him let the lord hear your worship tonight you appreciate this sacrifice it's worth your devotion to whom much has been forgiven, he will love much.
1: I just came to remind you that all of us have been forgiven of much. All of us have been forgiven 500 denarii worth. None were forgiven 50. So God doesn't deserve 50 denarii worth of
0: love. He deserves all. Father, thank you. I ask thou, O Lord, you will minister to
1: each and everyone here present and the one listening by
0: podcast at every stage and juncture of their work with you. Amen. All right. Good night, guys. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your week. See you on Sunday. Blessings.